millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun, our weekly podcast with stories and information about the weather. I'm AccuWeather meteorologist Dean DeVore with a special update here to episode number six in our summer series, as we take a look at Tropical Storm Faye getting ready to make landfall in New Jersey on Friday afternoon, how that will affect the rest of the weekend and the weather into next week. We'll do that at the end of this broadcast with our hurricane expert, Dan Kalowski, with the latest information. But we'll get this podcast, weekly podcast, off with a bang. We're going to talk with a man affectionately known as Dr. Lightning. John Jensenius joins us from the National Lightning Safety Council to talk about the mystery, intrigue, and all the things that make us respect one of the most deadly things in the weather, which is lightning. We'll talk with John about that and certainly talk about lightning safety. Well, we've got a lot to talk about on this episode. This is meteorologist Dean DeVore, and it's time to talk about everything under the sun. You know, I think if you ask any meteorologist, each one of them has something that got them into the weather. For some people, it's snow and big snowstorms. For others, maybe if they grew up in the Midwest, it might be big thunderstorms. Certainly folks along the uh, coast uh, paid attention to hurricanes and got interested there. For me, it was lightning. It was always lightning. It was always those thunderstorms. My dad built a porch when I was like five years old and we could look out over the northwest sky, watch the thunderstorms roll in and get yelled at for staying out there too long. And lightning is something that I've learned to love and respect. And we'll talk about why and how that occurred. And certainly something I've always been interested in. And so it is extremely my pleasure to welcome in John Jensenius. He is affectionately known as Dr. Lightning. He worked for the uh, National Weather Service 41 years, uh, retired recently, and now really spends a lot of time helping folks understand lightning and its impacts as part of the National Lightning Safety Council. John, it's great to have you. And it's great to know that, you know, we had share some things. You did your undergraduate uh, degree from meteorology at Millersville University which is where I grew up, spent some time there. And then you came to Penn State and did your uh, your master's degree at Penn State. So it's amazing that we have that situation going, that we have that commonality and certainly our love of lightning. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you, Dean. It's great to be here. How did you get to love lightning and what made you want to study it and understand it and then help people understand it and learn to respect it? What What got you to that? As a child, and as you said, as a meteorologist, there are things that really intrigue you. Like you, I was intrigued by lightning. I enjoyed, I know a lot of people are frightened of lightning as a child. I enjoyed lightning. It was exciting. Enjoyed watching it from a porch, which I now know is very unsafe. Right. But uh, 
I guess it's the flash and the bang that was always very exciting to me. Visual thing too. I mean, because you can see it and then there's that mystery too. And then the things that you learn as well, you can tell where it is and how close it is with the counting. And I, I think that all adds into that, right? That it's uh, it's something that it's actually a little bit fun, even though it shouldn't be if you're outside with trying to watch it. Well, it is. And uh, that is one of the things that I did as a child as uh, I would watch the flash I would count the number of seconds, divide by uh, five to tell how far away it was, how many miles away it was. But I do have to tell you, uh, there was once when I was sitting on my porch that I actually saw uh, lightning strike a, a tree that was fairly close by, and I watched the tree explode. That certainly left an impression on me as to the uh, power of lightning. Yeah, and my situation with that was uh, I was in high school. Uh, and I had been working uh, at, at Funk's Farm Market in Millersville. We've talked about that before we came on the air. It's a little farm market just south of where Millersville University is. And I'd come home and it was a long, hot afternoon. And I was out in the one part of our house and I heard the bang and the flash. And the next thing I know, I see uh, and hear my mom screaming. We're not sure where it hit or how close, but somehow it followed a power line and it basically caught the back of our refrigerator on fire. And thank goodness if we had not been home, it we may have lost the house. So that's when I started to learn the respect for it as well. Let's let's talk a little bit about lightning. I mean, it's it's kind of a mysterious thing. You know, there's times when I'm looking at a radar, I'm almost sure that a storm should have lightning and it doesn't. And then all of a sudden, when I didn't think there would be any possibility that lightning could pop up, there it is. Talk a little bit about what we know in terms of the dynamics of it and what maybe we still don't know about lightning. A couple of things we know. First of all, uh, lightning is in a very general sense. It's a giant spark of electricity, either in the clouds or between the clouds and the ground. It originates in thunderstorms. So in order to get lightning, you have to get a thunderstorm. Thunderstorms tend to develop on days when it's very warm, humid, because the ingredients needed include usually heat, plus some mechanism for getting the air to rise. And then, of course, the moisture that forms the cloud and the precipitation particles in the cloud. Those precipitation particles within the cloud are what's responsible for charging the cloud. There are various collisions that occur in those collisions. Very small ice crystals take on a positive charge, and because they are very light, they're carried upward in the storm, near the top of the storm. And something called grapple, which is like a pellet of snow, takes on a negative charge, and that's that's really the charging mechanism. It is, in a sense, a great big battery in the atmosphere, and that battery is going to supply the electricity to produce the lightning. In time, charges build up on the ground underneath the storm cloud. They're actually induced, so they're opposite of what's going on in the middle of the storm. That's uh, where you can get the connection between the cloud and the ground. And then you know, there's, we, we talk about cloud to ground, obviously the biggest, uh, most dangerous form of lightning. Uh, most people think it's always coming from the cloud to the ground, but actually there can be upward movement, right? It can go actually from ground to cloud as well. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of misunderstanding about lightning in itself. And even the more common, what we call negative flash, which is a negative charge that originates in the cloud, charge comes down to the ground, uh, makes a connection with the ground, and then the brilliant flash that we call the return stroke goes upward. But in some cases, it's just the opposite. You may have a charge on an antenna or a mountaintop that actually goes upward and spreads out as it goes upward. 
So there are various types and we have negative lightning and positive lightning. So a lot to learn about lightning. And then there's a cloud to cloud lightning, right? That does not ever actually reach the ground. That's something, you know, my grandmother always, and my parents too, they, the heat lightning. Remember, uh, it, uh, talk a little bit about that. Well, heat lightning is really just uh, lightning that's in a storm that's too far away to hear thunder. You can usually hear thunder about 10 miles from a storm. So if it's more than 10 miles away, chances are you're not going to be hearing the thunder, you, but you may be seeing the flashes especially if the uh, lightning is illuminating the uh, anvil off of a distant thunderstorm. A lot of people think heat lightning is something different, but it's really not. It's just a storm uh, off in the distance. And normally you wouldn't have to worry about it unless it's headed in your direction. And then, of course, it's a good idea not to wait too long to get inside. Where do you think meteorology is at this point in determining or you know, how successful are we in determining when lightning is going to occur? Well, with our computer models, uh, they're becoming more and more accurate with time. They're becoming more and more detailed in terms of their structure, number of layers, and they're able to model what's going on within the thunderstorm cloud much better than they were in the past. So at this point, I think we're coming a long way in determining when approximately when storms might be producing lightning in certain areas of the country. Although in other areas of the country, you're not dealing with just the storm development, you're dealing with storm movement as well. With storm movement, it's a matter of uh, watching the radar for a storm that already is producing uh, lightning and just making sure that you're uh, getting to the safe place well before the storm arrives. Yeah, I still think there are times, though, when we miss it, uh, where, uh, and, or we think the lightning field or the, the availability of uh, the atmosphere to produce the lightning is in a different spot. And it's frustrating as a meteorologist. We had a situation, very first football game at Penn State, where we had close enough lightning that we had to delay the game. And so this past season, first time we've had to do that. And, you know, it looked to me and I, we were, you know, in the morning briefing that there wasn't likely to see it. And then sure enough, two or three hours later, it was a lot closer than we thought. And I think there's still a few surprises out there. Any other things that we really need to learn about lightning to make it better for us as meteorologists to communicate it to the public? Is there some things that we could learn that if we could just figure out, it could be a big, bigger breakthrough than we, we might think? Dean, I was in a similar situation when I was growing up where I was, as you know, a student at Penn State, and I went to my in-law's house for a picnic, and I said, you know, it's a clear sky, it's a beautiful day, there's absolutely <laughs> no chance that there's going to be lightning. Never say that, John, never say that. And, and sure enough, there was only one storm that popped up on the radar, and it popped up right over the picnic area. I'm not sure if it contained lightning or not, uh, but I, I do know it poured like mad. And yes, there always is, and we always do have those surprises, I think that's partially what makes these storms interesting. Particularly, you mentioned the difficulty in forecasting lightning. It's even harder in the wintertime uh, yeah. in snowstorms knowing whether or not a particular situation is going to produce lightning. But that's why we also get so excited as meteorologists when we have thunder snow and you hear us jumping around and screaming. Folks, we're going to take a break here on Everything Under the Sun. I'm really uh, privileged here. I'm talking to John Jensenius, a meteorologist 
after a 40-year career at the National Weather Service, retired from there, but now continues work with the National Lightning Safety Council. We're going to talk about that aspect of it. It is an extremely important subject, and we need to spend some time on that. What are some things that you need to know and some things that your grandma and your mother, those old wives' tales, you may have heard about lightning that aren't true. We want to keep you safe, especially as we go through this summer with all the thunderstorms that are popping up. We'll continue this great conversation with John Jensenius after this. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Listen to Weather Insider every weekday for a discussion on trending weather news with me, Bernie Reno, and Evan Myers. You'll get detailed insight into major weather events and learn the why behind the weather. Just subscribe to Weather Insider on your favorite podcast platforms today. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. This is Dean DeVore as we uh, continue here on episode number six, second half of summer, our series. And we're talking with John Jensenius of the National Lightning Safety Council, lives up in Maine, where... uh, Man, it's going to get, we might have some rain and thunder to the main coast with this uh, storm that's coming up the eastern seaboard here as we go through the weekend. But John, uh, many years working with National Lightning Safety Council and helping folks uh, get ready to be safe when lightning occurs. And uh, we talked a little bit in the last segment, John, about lightning itself. And now I do want to really focus on safety. I think, you know, there there are things that, you know, just as you and I said in the first segment, we really were so um, intrigued by thunder that we would go out on, into a porch situation because we thought something just over our head was enough covering. But, you know, as we are recording this, this is not a secret. There's a thunderstorm that just went by to about the, well, the closest strike was about a half a mile about 15 minutes ago. But I think we're in good safety now. But that's the thing, John, safety with lightning it has some rules, but rules are meant to be broken in terms of how safe, you know, sometimes thunder can occur much longer after a storm than you might think. So let's talk through some of these things. First of all, we all know to count, right, five seconds per mile, how close that lightning may be. Uh, anytime that that can prove us any wrong or that might uh, give us a false sense of security. Counting tells you how far away the last stroke was. It doesn't tell you how far away the next stroke is going to be. So first of all, if you're counting, you want to be counting from a safe place. Uh, you don't want to be standing outside and counting because if you're hearing thunder, you're already uh, already in danger. But you also have to keep in mind that every thunderstorm has a, a first stroke of lightning. So if the sky looks threatening, you don't want to wait for that first flash of lightning because that first flash is just as dangerous as any other flash in the storm. And then when you hear that first flash or when you think you might see it, uh, but certainly if you hear lightning roar, head indoors, and that's uh, been the, the key note, there's just no substitute for it. There's no excuse. If you can get indoors, get indoors. Now, if you can't get indoors and you might be out hiking, a storm can come up quickly upon you. Uh, let's talk about some of those scenarios. First, the car scenario. I remember being told, It's okay if you're in the car, but don't touch the door, don't touch any metal, and just make sure that the the rubber is on the macadam. How much of that is true and how much of that is false? The idea that the rubber is going to protect you is completely false. The rubber does nothing to protect you. It's actually the metal shell of the car that protects you. If you get inside a hard-topped metal vehicle uh, and lightning strikes, it's going to follow the metal shell around you, which means you definitely want to have your arms fully inside the car. We recommend rolling up the windows 
you you probably want to avoid touching the electronics in the car because people have been injured. But for the most part, as long as you're inside, you're going to be safe. Now, John, I'm outside. I'm either playing golf, uh, I play a lot of disc golf, or I'm hiking, or a party, and we didn't plan. There is no indoors. Not everybody can get in cars. Uh, What do we do in some of those situations if we're caught outdoors in a a thunderstorm? Well, those are very dangerous situations, and... uh, in some cases, there may be absolutely nothing you can do to prevent from uh, being struck by lightning. Kind of the goal of ours is that we want people to understand how to avoid getting caught in a dangerous situation rather than what to do in a dangerous situation. But if you are outside, we do recommend that in most cases, there is safety somewhere that's not too distant. And we recommend that you run as fast as you can toward a safer location. Uh, The reason for that is that thunderstorms, if you consider the entire period of the thunderstorm from when it first becomes dangerous, when you can first hear that first rumble of thunder until 30 minutes afterwards, you're talking about an hour or longer. And if you can get, for example, to the safe place in 30 minutes, you've already cut your vulnerability in half. If you're in a situation where you're far out in the woods and there is absolutely no way you can get to safety, The recommendation would be that you avoid the taller trees in the area. You certainly don't want to be out in the open. And if you're with a group, spread out so that if lightning does strike and injure a person, that other people will be there to help. But but really, the focus that people have should be on trying to avoid getting caught in that situation. So in order to do that, we strongly recommend that you listen to the forecast If you are thinking about an activity that puts you far from safety and thunderstorms are predicted, consider canceling or postponing that activity. If you do go outside, keep an eye on the sky. And if you have uh, the ability to monitor the weather, the radar, do that and, uh, you know, head to a safe place at the first sign of an approaching or developing storm. Now, you know, most people, uh, I think, think that, you know, the, you can only get affected or struck by lightning directly, and that's not true either. There's, what, five ways that people can get struck? Yeah, actually, there are five different ways, and people do. that. The most common uh, thing that people think of is a direct strike, where you might be standing out in the field, you're struck directly. Doesn't happen that often. It, it, of course, would be very dangerous, but more often than not, people are struck by what we call ground current. Ground current is where it strikes a a tree or some other object and spreads out along the ground and literally can go up one leg and down the other and pass through uh, various organs, the heart, it can stop the heart along the way. Uh, Another one is the side flash. And this is common where people are taking shelter under a tree very bad idea, but lightning strikes the tree and literally jumps from the tree to the person. The person is a better conductor than the tree. Another way is uh, what we consider a conduction. So if, for example, you're outside and uh, you're right along a metal fence and you're touching the fence, lightning can strike a quarter mile away and follow that metal fence to you. That's also a problem inside because the uh, wires that are outside lead inside. So yep. conduction is a way you can get struck. And the last way is what we call a streamer. Just before lightning strikes an area, there's a opposite charge that reaches up to meet that downcoming charge. That occurs from uh, or can occur from more than one object that's outside. So for example, 
lightning could strike a tree, you could be a quarter mile away, but yet there's a charge that's rising from you to try and meet that lightning. In that case, when lightning strikes, all of those charges discharge and you could be killed or injured that way, something we call a streamer discharge. So one thing too then is uh, how long should we wait? Uh, One thing that I learned uh, early on in meteorology was to try to warn people about the bolt from the blue, which is where you think the storm has passed and then a bolt comes out of the back of the storm and comes towards you that you think it's way past. So give us some timeframes, John, in terms of uh, how long to wait after we hear that last thunder. Yes, that's a mistake that a lot of people actually make. The uh, The rain ends, the sun may come out, but yet there's still charges aloft. And as I said, that lightning can reach backward from the storm or backward from uh, some of the lingering clouds in the storm. So our recommendation is to wait 30 minutes after the last thunder before returning outside. And of course, that's one of those general rules. If it still looks threatening, don't go outside. But uh, in general, if you wait 30 minutes after the last thunder, you're going to be safe. Again, we're talking to John Zincenius. He's a member of the National Lightning Safety Council. We've been talking about uh, lightning and lightning safety. Let's uh, talk a little bit about activities uh, where you're most likely to get it. Um, I think everybody thinks in the sports realm and stuff uh, or, or activities and maybe golf. And that's just simply not the case. You're more likely to get struck doing what outside, John? For many years, golf has always, people think of golf as the number one activity where people are struck, and that's simply not true. Over the past 14 years, I've been documenting every single fatality, and over those years, fishing uh, has caused four times more lightning fatalities than golf, and we can include other activities as well, things like going to the beach, going boating, camping, even uh, certain yard work or working on a ranch or a farm, uh, those all lead to more fatalities than golf. Fortunately for golfers, uh, they've become much more aware of the lightning threat and golf courses have provided some alarms to alert people to uh, impending thunderstorms. So actually uh, the golf situation has improved greatly, but there are many activities and I, I look at it as There are activities where people are some distance from safety and they really need to plan earlier. And there are other uh, instances where people just simply take chances. Just uh, walking from your house to your car. uh, We see quite a few uh, lightning fatalities just in people's yards. They just take chances. And and with lightning, you really can't take a chance. 20 minutes before we started this recording, uh, my partner reminded me to get inside. So uh, I wasn't taking that chance. How ironic to get hit by lightning when you're interviewing uh, Dr. Lightning. So are men more likely to get hit than women because they're spending more time outdoors doing those kinds of jobs? Well, what we found is that... uh, about 80% of the fatalities are men. So men are four times more likely to be killed by lightning. And I think there are several reasons for that. First of all, men tend to work outside more often. So uh, about 90% of the fatalities that are related to work are men. And we mentioned fishing before. Again, about 90% of those fatalities are men. So there are certain activities that men are more involved with. But then there's also an activity like the beach, where you would figure, at least prior to the thunderstorm, you would have just as many men on the beach as you would women, figure it would be about 50-50. But in reality, when you start looking at the fatalities, about 75% of those are men, 
and about 25% are women. So you got to ask yourself, why would that be? And it, I think it boils down to perhaps men are less willing to get to that safe place early in order to stay safe. And they, they just simply wait too long. Or in some cases, they may just be unwilling to be inconvenienced by the thunderstorm. Not necessarily one where it's raining, but one where they're hearing thunder and they're saying, I think I'll wait and see if it passes by. And that's just a mistake that I think men make. The trend of the lightning fatalities has gone down in the last 15 years. Uh, it looks like to me uh, right now, we're standing at seven this uh, far into the last two years, 21 fatalities, uh, mid-teens, 16 in 2017, uh, hit a high of 40 in 2016. And there were years back in the mid-2000, uh, 2006, 2007, up over 40. So it looks like the trend is down. Is that because of better information, better radar on our phones, better alerts, do you think, John? Or uh, what do you, could, could you attribute that to anything? Well, I, I think there are a number of reasons for that. If we go back to the 1940s, we were seeing 400 people killed a year. So a lot of things have changed since then. But if we just look, for example, at the last 10 or 15 years, uh, what has changed? Well, first of all, I think the awareness has changed. We've seen various groups that have put out their own guidelines as far as safety for uh, organized activities. I think people are becoming more aware of it. There's certainly more information available via cell phones. You know, you can take a look at the radar, and in many cases, you may be able to actually get lightning data on your cell phone. There are ways that people can be more aware of the uh, the dangers of lightning, and I think that has helped considerably. But there's also the uh, medical aspect of it that I think more and more people have learned that uh, if somebody is struck, that you need to administer CPR right away, and I think that's helped keep the fatalities a little bit uh, lower. But I have to point out that. For every fatality, there are 10 people that are, or nine people that are injured. Uh, and some of those injuries can be uh, devastating injuries and last mm -hmm. uh, their entire lives. So just because somebody lived, survived a lightning strike, doesn't mean that they're living a normal uh, life. Well, John, I think I attribute some of that too to the work of the National Lightning Safety Council. And I know you've dedicated your life to that. And I want to thank you for that. It's been really a, a pleasure and a, and a real thrill to talk to you and, and, and talk to you and get to know you here today. Anything else you'd like to add to uh, the listeners here to everything under the sun about lightning that we didn't cover? The one thing I was going to mention is uh, I was going to talk, talk a little bit about what really got me into the safety issue. And this is something that uh, goes back to some of the things we talked about being on the porch when we were kids watching lightning and now recognizing that it isn't safe. So back in 1999, I started Lightning Safety Awareness Week for the states of Maine and New Hampshire. Part of the problem was when I looked at Maine and New Hampshire, I realized that we have a lot less lightning than many other parts of the country. But if I looked at the number of people per capita that were was being struck, it was actually quite high. And I started my asking myself why. Well, first of all, there are a lot of outdoor activities which put people in danger. And I recognize the fact that many people just simply didn't understand the dangers of lightning. The fact that lightning could strike up to 10 miles from a thunderstorm. If they're hearing thunder, they needed to get inside. So that's one of the reasons I organized the campaign in Maine and New Hampshire. And two years later, we took that uh, campaign national with the National Weather Service with National Lightning Safety Awareness Week. And, and really, I think with our 
partners uh, in the media with uh, the various meteorological organizations and companies like AccuWeather, you know, we've helped get the word out. And of course, the National Weather Service offices and and really uh, everybody that's putting the information out for the uh, general public. So it's been great. And I always ask people just spread the word. John, we appreciate all you've done with that. And uh, thank you so much for spending time with us here on Everything Under the Sun. Thank you, Dean. Thanks again to John Jensenius. I should have had that interview a couple of weeks ago. Uh, The National Lightning Safety Week is always the last full week of June. So it was uh, June 21st through the 27th. And we appreciate all his efforts. You can go to their website, lightningsafetycouncil.org amazing amounts of information in there about uh, all the statistics you need. And certainly the main thing to remember is when thunder roars, go indoors. Well, things are going to be roaring up along the eastern seaboard as we get along this week. As a storm system moves up the coast, it could be named a subtropical or tropical storm Fay. It may not be named either way. It's going to have an impact. Our hurricane expert, Dan Kutlowski, joins me next as we talk about that and head into next week with expanding heat and humidity again into the middle of the country and back into the northeast. Our extended forecast coming up on Everything Under the Sun. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun here as we get ready for this uh, second weekend of July. We've got Tropical Storm Faye moving up the eastern seaboard. I'm joined now by AccuWeather hurricane expert, Dan Kutlowski. And Dan, we had you on a couple of weeks ago, right as the Saharan dust was getting involved in our weather and really calming the tropics down. We've got a tropical system, but this one kind of got homegrown right along the eastern seaboard as we've gone over the last 24 hours. As we record this at midday on Friday, we are hours away from landfall of Tropical Storm Fay on the Jersey coast. Let's talk about the wind aspect of the storm as it stands, as it's about to make landfall and the heavy rain that we're expecting from Fay as it comes on shore over the next couple of hours in New Jersey. Yeah, right now the uh, the biggest impact from uh, from Fay is going to be the heavy rain. As far as the wind is concerned, uh, the wind field, uh, tropical storm force winds do extend out to about 120 miles, mostly to the northeast of the center. And so that means that probably the strongest winds, at least over the next several hours, will be over Long Island, uh, Long Island Sound, and probably into uh, coastal portions of Connecticut. As you go into southeastern New England, uh, the winds probably will not be quite as strong because you're getting a further away from the storm. And as the storm makes its closest approach, which will be uh, late tonight, early tomorrow morning, uh, it'll be weakening because it'll be over land. So uh, the strongest winds right now are probably going to be felt over Long Island, southern shores of Long Island. Rainfall totals are going to be, um, again, somewhere probably between one and four inches, one inch on the, on the western periphery and on the eastern periphery. Like, for example, uh, in eastern Pennsylvania, there could be one to two inches, localized uh, three inches, maybe, maybe as much as three or four inches in Philly. And then uh, New York City, a uh, solid two to four inches of rain from the system. So uh, the winds probably at their peak, some gusts, 30, 40, 50 miles per hour. Jersey Shore, Long Island maybe is probably the 40, 50 mile per hour gust as this comes in as we go Friday night into early Saturday morning. 
Exactly, exactly. So uh, 40 to 50 mile an hour wind gusts probably will be felt somewhere along the coast there. Again, uh, as the system moves in over uh, New Jersey, it's going to start winding down quite a bit. So the wind field will begin to uh, expand a little bit more and the winds will not be quite as strong. Um, so, so yeah, so the, the storms right now at its peak at the present time, it's, it's starting to go over cooler water. As of this broadcast, it's about 25 miles to the southeast of Cape May, and it's going to take a, a landfall position somewhere probably either to the south or to the north of Atlantic City within the next few hours. So let's do it this way, uh, and let's talk about worst conditions and when. Jersey Shore, Friday afternoon, Friday evening, and then getting better up to New York City into the very early hours of Saturday morning. Then let's go up along the uh, New England coast. The Connecticut and the uh, New Rhode Island, the south coast of New England, probably getting the worst of it Friday night into the very early hours of Saturday morning. As you know, I'm up in Provincetown as we speak. The Cape probably getting the worst of it during those early morning hours, late Friday night, early Saturday. And then this thing is going to accelerate. Typically, these uh, systems up along the eastern seaboard, whether they're a tropical system or they're a, a winter system that we see uh, coastal low or a, a nor'easter, they tend to accelerate as they get farther north in the stream. That's correct, yeah. Again, as the storm makes landfall again, the impacts further north are going to be much, are going to be less and less. So, so like you said, coastal Connecticut, Rhode Island, even out on the Cape, winds are not going to be much stronger than maybe about uh, somewhere between 30 and 40 miles an hour. And I may be overdone on that. Uh, but, but again, uh, in these kinds of situations, uh, again, the winds tend to be a little bit stronger in some of the uh, coastal areas, but inland from the coast, uh, the winds will be a lot less. Yeah, and then the rain, we'll just have to watch. Uh, the big problem, I think, is going to be training of these complexes of heavy rain and thunderstorms over the next uh, 12 to 24 hours. Who gets in the path of most of those trains of of those cars, of heavy rain pockets? And that's where we could see some of the most uh, impacts here, which is primarily poor drainage and urban type flooding versus what could be a problem if it had stuck around, which was more stream, creek, and river flooding. The good news is this is kind of a catch-22. It's going into a place that needs rain, Dan, here as we also look at some other weather going into the weekend and early next week. Exactly. Some places are one or two inches below normal on rainfall, and some places even more than that. Uh, what's also interesting about this storm is most of the heaviest rain is to the north of where it's tracking. There's very little moisture uh, wrapped around the center of the storm. So so even though we concentrate on the center of the storm, sometimes uh, uh, the rain's going to appear much sooner uh, than what the storm will. And uh, by the time the storm reaches a certain point, the rain will be over. Already seeing some of those darker, more threatening looking clouds up here in Provincetown as of uh, two o'clock on Friday afternoon as we record this. This is also the normally the segment where we talk about the uh, weather beyond the weekend as uh, this podcast really is meant to last the whole week. So uh, this may not be the last coastal low we see along the eastern seaboard. After this thing goes by, there's still some troughiness that may lead to another system that we have to watch along the coast as we get into the early part of next week. That's correct. I mean, there's, uh, there's a dip in the upper level wind pattern that's uh, in place uh, over the eastern United States. And whenever we see this kind of pattern like this, this does promote the development of weak low pressure areas. The latest computer models are suggesting there'll be a weak area of low pressure developing along the Carolina coast, South Carolina coast, probably Saturday night or Sunday. Uh, and that will be moving northeast where it looks like 
The uh, feature, which is helping to guide Faye northeastward, however, is going to create a lot of vertical wind shear, uh, very high-level winds. And so when, when that happens, the storm, the thunderstorms within a, uh, try to wrap around a storm get stretched out to the northeast, and you can't get a system to wrap up. It's like a spinning top. If you ever play with the spinning top of it, right. so you can't get that thing to go. And that's the problem with the, what will happen over the next uh, uh, couple of days or so. So we don't really see a real good chance for development, at least uh, into the next couple of days. But there will be areas of low pressure we'll be our, keeping our eyes on off the southeast coast then. Another area, Dean, that we'll be also right. watching, this is long term, is yes, the Gulf of Mexico. Right. Uh, we talked about uh, the fact that we're going to have this large area of, of uh, very warm air coming eastward into the United States. There will be a dome of high pressure developing over much of the eastern United States during the latter part of the of that of next week into next weekend. Uh, and even though there will be a storms going through the Great Lakes into the Northeast, it will be this big high pressure area over the Southeast United States. And a lot of times when you get that kind of a setup, that opens a door for uh, mischief uh, across the Gulf of Mexico and into the Northwestern Caribbean. So we'll be watching very closely the tropical waves that will be tracking into that area because it's going to have to be a tropical wave that's going to have to instigate development in the Gulf of Mexico. The problem there is they're still mired in dry air and dust. So if the dry air and dust drops off at some point next week, watch out. They'll have to worry about something in the Gulf of Mexico. And then the other big story about the weather next week is going to be the heat dome that is kind of kind of pushing back a little bit here over the weekend back to be centered on the southwestern part of the United States. But we're going to see expansion again back into the middle of the country, Great Lakes and up into the upper Midwest, upper plains. And then it's going to expand back in mid to late week next week, back into the northeast and eventually New England again. This is really going to be dangerous heat for a lot of the country, another long stretch. We just came off of a pretty good stretch and we're so early in the season. We're going to see another one here coming up mid to late week next week, Dan. Yeah. And we're reaching that time of the year where we're once the heat builds up over the Western United States, uh, you'll have a front go through, you get one day of cooling, which we will t uh, experience this weekend. And then the heat comes back in gradually then. So, but there will be a series of storms that will be bringing fronts across the Great Lakes into the northeastern United States. There will be some occasional relief. But again, uh, as you point out, there's a lot of warm air that will be hitting eastward. And, and so uh, that will, again, pump the temperatures up as we get toward the end of next week and into next weekend. Talking with Dan Kidlowski, AccuWeather's hurricane expert. Dan, this is my 12th year coming to uh, Cape Cod this same week. I just never thought I'd really have to worry about a tropical storm. I guess this is the only six cyclone, uh, including uh, two post-tropical cyclones that have come within 50 miles of uh, southeast New England or southern New England since uh, July of 19 or 1851 in the month of July. Last one is was Burl in 2006. So this is pretty, uh, pretty rare stuff to see this kind of an organized system this time of the season in July here in this part of the country. Yeah, it is. And I think it shows you that, uh, yeah, this shows you how unusual this is having Faye coming up. In fact, historically, we've never seen a storm come up the coast like this, this early in the season. You know, typically we see this happening in August, September, especially right. a lot of times, even in October, we see October. This yep. Yep. The, some of the last ones come right up along the uh, Eastern seaboard. It seems like that. Dan, I know your folks are busy. Again, this is being recorded Friday midday 
Please make sure that you're sticking to AccuWeather and AccuWeather.com in your app for the latest information, especially where tropical storm warnings are out. And uh, be careful of the, the heavy rains. Dan, thank you so much for the time and appreciate uh, being able to update this information today. Thank you so much. Okay, Dean. Certainly want to thank all of Dan's team members in the hurricane forecasting realm here at AccuWeather.com. They've been working hard. You know, we had Edward last week, which is the earliest named E-storm ever. And if uh, Faye gets named here, this would be by far the earliest F-named storm. So we're on track to certainly have an extremely busy hurricane season, which Dan and his folks had already talked about. But every step of the way, you want to keep checking in with AccuWeather.com and your AccuWeather.com app. Speaking of that AccuWeather.com app, it is about ready to get... A major, major improvement and upgrade. And just to be one of the best weather apps, uh, people are just talking about it amazingly. It was a great review. And in Gadget just a week or so ago, everybody's excited about the new AccuWeather.com app. And it's coming out in the next week or so. And we'll be talking about it next week with those who have developed it. What uh, are the amazing benefits of it? And what are some of the improvements? I've been uh, beta testing it and it looks absolutely awesome. So we'll talk about that next week. We also may try to check in, you know, this coming week, 35th anniversary of Live Aid. We'll try to see if we can do something about that. And uh, I'm going to be on vacation, but I may check in for the podcast as we get into next week. Friends, it is summer, episode six in the books for our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, and the amazing team members behind me here at AccuWeather.com that work so hard every day to keep you informed, especially with storms like this weekend's up along the eastern seaboard. Check in often to AccuWeather.com and your AccuWeather.com app. Have a great, safe weekend. Be safe and well. And we'll talk to you next week on Everything Under the Sun. 